So we heard these words, his perfect love could not be overcome. That is the word we need a week after Easter. If you were Jesus, what would you have said to the disciples? You've just appeared before them. You just came through that weekend. The tomb is empty. He is risen. Yay. But if you were Jesus, if you were Jesus, if I was Jesus, what would you have said to him? Maybe, uh, so guys, what is your problem? Or, um, you know, why did you abandon me? Or maybe, maybe after all this, what are you afraid of? Or maybe the, the words that I would be so tempted to say, we would all be so tempted to say, I told you so. Right? Now those are the responses that perhaps I would have had, but, but not Jesus. And I'm sure that the disciples' mouths were gaping open when these words came from the mouth of Jesus. And he says to them, peace be with you. After that became an inspection of the wounds, that had to freak them out. Definitely freaked me out. Fresh wounds, nasty wounds. But listen again, because I think this is so important. He shows them the worst that sin can do. He says, look, this is the worst that sin could possibly do. And then he says, peace be with you. As we stated last week, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And in this passage, we can see, we begin, begin to see how that is so because no matter the depth of the wounds, no matter the depths of the wounds that have been produced by our sinful choices or delivered upon us by a sinful fallen world, no matter the brokenness or suffering, the heartache or pain, the resurrected Christ has one message for you and me right now. One message. Peace be with you. But this world of ours and, and, and this life tend to undermine our sense of security and assault our faith. In such a world, it is easy to give in to our fears and our doubts. It, it is easy to succumb to these, what I would call, weapons of mass destruction of the soul. Fear and doubt. These great inhibitors to what Jesus wants for our lives and what does Jesus want for our lives? It was the very final word that we heard from the Gospel of John today. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's what Jesus wants for us. He wants for us to have life. To live life. To have abundant life. As we said last week, I say it again today, We need to be about the business of living. But too many of us are about the business of dying. We need to be about the business of living. Why are you looking for the living among the dead, the angels say. He is not here. 
He is risen. But then there's those weapons of mass destruction in our soul, fear and doubt. And when they are permitted to rule our thoughts and drive our actions, they are death. They kill joy. And they kill peace. And you know what else they kill? What fear and death kill? They kill relationships. They kill life. And we will not find life in these dead things. And so this passage reminds me that to live in the fullness of the resurrection, I must face down fear and death and embrace faith in Jesus, not apart from them, but in the middle of them. And the truth is, we can. There is a safe place, my friends, for our fears and doubts. And that's why I love Thomas. That's why we love him. Uh, the so-called doubting Thomas. But the truth is, he was not the only one. We, we've made him the scapegoat of doubt and fear, but he wasn't the only one. In fact, all the disciples are racked with fear and doubt. Now listen carefully, verse 19. On that same evening, Resurrection Sunday, the followers gathered together behind locked doors in fear that some of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were still searching for them. There were search parties in the streets. I, I don't think we get what was happening. There were search parties in the streets trying to hunt down these disciples. Now that could not have been good. If you're, if you're one of the disciples and you know that someone's hunting you down, that does just does not sound like it's going to have a good ending. And just that thought elicited fear. Now notice this, though. Notice this. Verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came the first time. Now listen to that. Remember those search parties the disciples are hiding from? Well, it seems that Thomas was out in those streets. And nowhere in the text do we hear that Thomas is afraid. I think it is safe to say the disciples huddling in the upper room were not only afraid, but they had major doubts. So we have unfairly called this one the doubting Thomas. Unfairly. In fact, the moniker has become a descriptor we have placed on the pessimistic and the doubt-ridden but it is here that Jesus gives Thomas and us the opportunity to allow our doubts become our faith. You see, I guess what I love most about this is not what it says about faith, but about doubt. Jesus did not give up on Thomas because of his doubt. We have created a misplaced understanding of God in our theology where we talk in, our, in the sense that when we're struggling with doubts, we're being less than Christian. Just hang with me for a little bit. Don't walk out of here saying, Pastor Jeff said it's okay for me to doubt God the rest of my life. Just hang with me a little bit. Jesus did not give up on Thomas, but rather... The doubts Thomas had became evidence or were evidence of the seeds of faith. And that is what we need to understand about our doubts. And so are you a person here today who is doubting God? 
Are you here today wondering, God, why are you not showing up? And you can fill in the blanks for the circumstance. Are you someone today who is disappointed with God because your life is not what you hoped it to be? In the midst of all that, I wonder if we can even say, praise God. You see, I confess to you today, in my own journey, it has taken me a great deal of time to find my way to this safe place for my doubts. But the truth is, Thomas had doubts. The disciples had doubts. All of us have doubts and fears. But we learn in this text that there is a safe place for doubts and fears, and that safe place is the very person of Jesus. Roaming the streets of Jerusalem trying to find answers, perhaps that's Thomas, or, or maybe roaming the hallways of the hospital or the halls of the courthouse or the rows at the cemetery trying to find answers. We are all Thomas. Are we not? So look at the response of Jesus to us through the response of Jesus to Thomas. He says, peace be with you. And then he said, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And in that moment, Jesus offers Thomas that beautiful resurrection gift, peace, wholeness, restoration, shalom, the well-being from God. And he doesn't do that, though, not without doubt. He does that right in the midst of Thomas's doubt. And he invites him then to take this close look at his wounds. And in that moment... I believe what Jesus does is he offers Thomas a reflection of the woundedness that Thomas is experiencing within himself. And right there, he finds a safe place for his fears and doubts. Let me say it again. Jesus did not give up on Thomas because of his doubts, but rather his doubts revealed the seed. It was evidence of the seed of his faith. And that is what I think we need to understand about our doubts. Because if Thomas did not believe at all, what reason would there be for him to doubt? What reason is there for you to doubt God if you don't have a seed of faith in him? If I don't believe there's a God, if I completely dismiss God in this world, if I've decided that God is a non-entity, a non-factor in the way I live my life, I have no reason to doubt him. But if I say, God, where are you? Or if I ask the hard questions of, God, if this happens in our world, why are you not around? If I'm asking those kind of questions, you know what that speaks to me about? That speaks to me about a seed of faith within a person's heart. If Thomas did not believe at all, 
what reason would there be for him to doubt? But as I said, we are all Thomas, are we not? And here's why we are all Thomas. If, if we get anything this morning, let's get this. Our fears and doubts expose us. And they expose the number one addiction in life. They expose to us the number one addiction we all have in life. To help us understand that, I want to introduce you to Kate Bowler. Kate is 39 years old. Four years ago, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. She has a little boy, young woman. She's a professor of uh, theology at Duke Divinity School. She's wrestled through this whole thing about God and doubt and faith. Not in some isolated ivory tower, but in the hallways of a chemotherapy wing. In the diagnosis that isn't necessarily always good. And she reveals to us, to me, our number one addiction. She says this, control is a drug and we are all hooked. Buried in all our concerns is the unspoken question, do I have control? It's what we're all addicted to. Urging often out of our own ego and our own fears and doubts. Do I have control? We are addicted to self-rule, she says, and so am I. But then she speaks of the great lesson she has learned. Surrender seems like such a Christian word, as if I were letting go and sinking into the arms of God. When will I realize that surrender is not weakness? Oh, oh, my friends. It's the number one drug, the number one addiction especially in Western society, having control. Life has a way of challenging us. When will I realize that surrender is not weakness? You see, that is Thomas's great lesson for us. Thomas says to Jesus, my Lord and my God, but did you hear what Jesus said to him? Jesus said to him, believe, Thomas says to Jesus, I surrender. Thomas doesn't say, I believe Jesus. He says, my Lord and my God. He acknowledges who is the real one in control. He acknowledges who the real king is. The king of doubts surrenders to the king of the universe. It's the strongest response to our fears and doubts. And in fact, Thomas, of all the disciples, gives the strongest response to Jesus. My Lord and my God. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm not sure if it's going to all add up. I'm trying to figure out what's happening right now as I'm staring at your wounds, but all I know is you are my Lord and you are my God. I don't get it, what's happening in my life. I'm not sure it's all going to add up. As I stare at it, I go, where, where is it going to end? I don't know, but all I know is you are my Lord and you are my God. 
surrendering control. Uh, the resurrection words of Job speak. They're beautiful resurrection words. The man who is not only one of the wealthiest and most righteous men of all history was also probably the man who undoubtedly suffered the most and was assailed by doubts as we read the book of Job. And yet, and yet, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. After, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. After the worst happens to me, I will still see God. And that is the lesson in this upper room where fears and doubts are on the verge of seizing the day. Not in some sterile and sanitized religious gathering that we try to usurp control over to make sure it's just what we want it to be. But in a secret hideout from roaming search parties where fears and doubts want to devour all peace, there we find a safe place for our fears and doubts. Surrender of our control to the God who never gives up on us, even in our fiercest doubts. And in the midst of our fiercest doubts, he says, peace be with you. And here's the secret. Scripture tells us Jesus is our peace. So he's saying, let me be with you. In their new book, The Fellowship of Suffering, Paul Berthwork and Dave Ripper make this statement. Suffering comes with the territory of life. Just stop there for a moment. We have to stop going, why me? Suffering comes with the territory of life. It rains on the just and the unjust. What a statement. Suffering finds us all, every last one of us. To be alive is to experience suffering. Our suffering in this world is not going to go away, but neither is our God. He is with us, no matter the pain, no matter the heartache, not even when we think he's left us. And so it's time to be honest about our doubts. There's a safe place for them, surrendering to the very real living Jesus. And that, my friends, is a very powerful, powerful thing. It was World War II when C.S. Lewis wrote the Screw Tape Letters. If you have not read this little book, not very big, the Screw Tape Letters, order a copy on Amazon today. I'm not getting a cut of any profits. I'm just, get the book. He wrote it in 1942. World War II, Britain in 1942 was like on the verge of destruction. And C.S. Lewis writes this book, The Screwtape Letters. It's a satirical, fictional book centered on letters written by a senior demon named Screwtape to his demonic protege who happens to be his nephew named Wormwood. And the whole point of the entire book is this demon, Screwtape, is trying to train this junior demon how to trip up and destroy the it, the Christian a young Christian person, because he's trying to defeat the enemy who is God. In one of the interactions, when it comes to the issues of doubts and fears, the senior demon writes to his protege these words. 
It is during low periods, much more than during peak periods, that it, the Christian, is growing into the sort of creature that he, God, wants it to be. Hence, the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best. Not when you feel it, not when it's all great and glorious, but in the dry place when you still pray. It goes on. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. The most dangerous place for the forces of hell is when you feel like God has abandoned you, when you look around and you say, there is no evidence of God in this world, when your soul is as dry as dust and you still pray and you still seek him, and in spite of not seeing any evidence of God in your life, you say, I will still obey him. What horror we instill in the demons of hell when we push through our doubts and our fears and we practice a faith that leads us to unequivocally trusting the God who lives with us, even in the midst of our doubts. And right there in fear and doubt, we still say yes to God. We don't turn away from God, but we turn toward God. And it is there we find what the very empty tomb offers us this very moment still. Remember those words from verse 31? These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And it is this place, this place where we find the safest place. Kate Bowler said this, a final lesson from her. This is all I have learned about living here, plodding along and finding God. My well-laid plans are no longer my foundation. Surrendering control, surrendering ego, Surrendering myself to Christ. I find not our plans, not the world's promises, not our own strength or resourcefulness, not what we can hold in our hands and count between our fingers and deposit in the bank. I find Jesus is the safest place for our fears and doubts because the living Jesus is with us, is with me. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me, he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You asked me how I know he lives. Because the living Christ lives within my very being. And he says this to you, and he says this to me. Peace, peace be with you. And we're going to sing about being alive. Because you see, that's, that's the whole point of the resurrection. That's the whole point. These things have been written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. And that by believing this, you will have life in his name.
And like Thomas, because that's true, no matter what doubts are assailing us, no matter what struggles are facing us, it's a week after Easter. Last Sunday was great and glorious. We gathered together and it was awesome and we sang, we will rock you and we are the champions. And you know, we talked about how we walk into this world with resurrection power. But guess what happened after last Sunday? Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and yesterday. And I don't know about you, but I have to tell you, from Monday to yesterday, there were things that happened which I struggled with. There were temptations that came my way that wanted to buffet me. There were doubts and fears that seemed to come around the corner like a thug and whack me in the head and say, I'm going to take you out now, Jeff. And now here we are a week later. The same for the disciples. And the doubting Thomas, and when it was all said and done, showed us the way. He, had, he couldn't have figured it out by then. He just went, my Lord and my God. Giving up his addiction to control. Placing faith in the one who has no rival, who has no equal, who is still risen from the dead. I invite you today, my friend, not to religion, but to life. Would you stand with me, please? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. My friends, go from here with faith in the living Christ, declaring to him, you are my Lord and you are my God. In Jesus' name, amen. Greet one another in the living Christ's name. You are dismissed.